What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. It's the Neverland Podcast, episode 93. Welcome to Neverland. Take a start of the right and straight until morning. Neverland. Hello again, it is I, the Spider-Pan Jeremy, your host here in the Neverland Podcast, and I'm by myself today. Heather has been a bit under the weather this week, and she hasn't been able to talk so good, so there will be no Wendy Nerd this week. That's okay, you get to have me, and uh, just take that pixie out of your pocket and get your happiest thought. We are flying away to Neverland, and we're going to have some fun today. I have some Disney Parks news. I have a little bit of news to keep you updated with ToonFest on what's going to be happening next weekend for stuff I want you to join me in. Also, we're going to go outside of Disney a little bit and hear from Adrian Paul, who was television's Highlander for many years. He was at the Kansas City Comic Convention, and I did record his his panel. Now, there is a bit of a gap in the recording of the panel because I did switch over from my, uh, my Sony Handycam over to my phone and recorded a special bit of where he had some guests come up and do their own version of the quickening before he gave it a, a, a example of him doing it himself. And so I actually have released that already on YouTube, so you can see that, but I do have all of his regular panel on a video, and that's actually where I'm going to get this audio. If you would like to see the video, I will be uploading it to the Neverland Podcast YouTube channel this week. In fact, I might try to upload it today, if not tomorrow. (laughs) So it will be up there, so you will be able to see this as well. Uh, make sure you do visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com and go into the news feed because we have new articles that are popping up there frequently. Uh, I've got some new staff writers, a couple of them, but I'm always looking for more. And also any artists, if you would like to share some of your artwork uh, kind of regularly, stuff like that, you know, uh, send me an email at podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com and we will get you set up to share uh, whatever you would like to write, review television shows. You know, we, I believe me, I got plenty of room for a lot of people and we can make this kind of a community website of sharing all kinds of fun fan type of geek stuff and Disney stuff, of course. But let's get rolling, shall we? I do have some Disney park news. 
this is Gary Gnu, and the No Gnu's is Good Gnu Show, the only TV Gnu's program guaranteed to contain no Gnu's whatsoever. Neverland News from the Disney Parks. All right, the first order of news really uh, that I really have to go over, and a lot of people are really unhappy about this, and you probably heard about this already, uh, but Aladdin is being booted out of the Hyperion Theater in 2016 over Disney California Adventure. Uh, the Aladdin show has been there since 2003. It has been able to keep going because the genie is allowed to improv, and so you always get some different jokes from the genie throughout the show. I have heard audio of the show. It is fantastic. I've never gotten to see it myself, but I have heard how wonderful and how much fun it is. Uh, and they even at one point they tried to put Toy Story into that theater, but the fan outcry was so large that they put Aladdin back. Well, January 10th is your last day to see the Aladdin show. Because Frozen is moving in. Now, Frozen has already taken over the Royal Theater. I mean, it's a brand new theater. They just you know, put in when they put in the new Fantasy Lane over there, and so it had the 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 Beauty and the Beast show and the Tangle show. Apparently, those have not been running. They've only been running a Frozen show. Also, Frozen has kicked the Muppets out of their own theater. Uh, and I've been reading through the comments on the Disney Parks blog, and there's people wanting to have... Does this mean Muppets 3D is coming back? And is Frozen going to leave that? There hasn't been any announcement that I've heard that Frozen is leaving any of these areas of the park, that it's already taken over. And you can almost taking it as a, a bit of a sign that over in the Norway Pavilion in Epcot, that they, they had a little small fire over there during the construction, that this whole thing is going to come burning down on them, I think. They are pushing too much Frozen, and by the time that sequel comes out, I don't know if anyone will be interested anymore. I think they're making us tired of it. I mean, I'm sure there's some diehard fans out there that are still going for it, but, you know, the rest of us are like, well, yeah, I liked that movie, but I've got so much of it, I'm, I am I don't want to sit through it anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have it everywhere. They, they are not balancing this very well at all. So this seems like a bad move, in my opinion, and the Disney Parks blog is just full of comments of people saying, please don't do this. So, you know, maybe with enough outcry, Aladdin will come back, just like when Toy Story booted out. I don't know. Uh, oh, but here's some other sad news. <laughs> There's a lot of sad news going on, but this is also the last year for the Osborne Festival of Lights. Uh, it's been there for 20 years over in Disney's Hollywood Studios. Is a very cool light show, um, but here this is bittersweet because they're they're tearing out that area to build the new Star Wars and Toy Story Land. So you know we're getting some really cool stuff for that. So that's still something to be excited about. But it is kind of bittersweet because you know that's a really neat show and it's been a great twenty years. But definitely this is your last chance to go check it out. So make sure you get down there this year around Christmas time and watch. And speaking of holidays. The holiday version of the Haunted Mansion opened up this week, and I, it looks like everybody was really excited to see what they were going to do with Hatbox Ghost. And uh, I didn't see too much difference uh, from what I could see from little short clips of videos. They didn't do a whole lot different with the Hatbox Ghost. He's still in there, and everybody's still very excited still to have him. But, of course, it's always worth seeing to go check out the holiday version of the Haunted Mansion. It is, of course, decorated and ready to go now during Halloween and throughout Christmas. So definitely go check it out over in Disneyland. Main Street, Main Street, meet me tonight on Main 
Okay, uh, quick announcement here for TuneFest. It is this Saturday, September 19th. So, of course, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to record. I'm going to go and uh, see a panel, maybe two, probably at least, definitely at least one. Uh, I will get some video. I'll get some audio. I'll be in there around town uh, most of the day. But here's what I want to do. Uh, I normally, I have used Meerkat in the past, but I'm going to try out Periscope, which is an official Twitter app uh, for Periscope. Uh, and so make sure you're following on Twitter at Neverland PCAST and make sure you follow on Periscope if you have that app. But from about 10 a.m. on Central Time is when they usually start up the parade. And I'm going to start streaming. I will stream the entire parade and I'll walk around the street with it. But I'll, I'll probably be off and on all day. I don't know how strong the Internet's going to be out there in the street. It is a small town. So I'm going to do my best to bring you what I can live. And I'll try to show you Main Street and take you around some of the shops and things like that. It'll be great. But make sure you check it out this Saturday, 10 a.m., Toonfest in Marceline, Missouri, Walt Disney's boyhood home and i will be like i said on periscope broadcasting live as best as i can to disney and beyond it's time to go in disney to disney and beyond because it is time to hear from adrian paul you might remember him from the highlander television series if you watched it uh of course, Highlander was a successful movie series. Uh, it's kind of an underground geek thing, you know, because uh, they made a lot of movies that, you know, they weren't like huge box office things, but it's like a cult hit, you know. And I, I've mainly just seen the first one. I tried to watch the second one, and they they had really changed some things, which I heard they re-edited it, and I never got around to watching it. But I did watch the television show. Uh, and this is, of course, what made the famous phrase, there can be only one. But Adrian Paul was really cool, a lot of fun, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. So here it goes. I grabbed these anyway. Hold on. Let me destroy the entire beauty that they've made here. <laughs> really good, this. It's just kind of like, like walking around. It's even better for me. better than That's better. <laughs> Surely you can hear me way in the back. <laughs> it's a very big room, this isn't it? Yeah. Wow. So you guys, uh, Kansas City, love you? Woohoo! Uh, yeah. 
Oh, no, these ladies in the front are left all over the place. They, they want me to quit. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's nice to be. I've never been to Kansas City before, and it's, uh, I, I, guess, I, I actually drove in going, wow, no buildings, no cars. It's like really cool. Because trust me, you've got it great here because you go to Los Angeles or some of these other cities, it's just everybody's on top of it. Everybody, I'm getting so done with that, really. Um, anyway, Highlander, I guess some of you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, most people say, so what have you been doing lately? And I said, well, I've just done, you know, three films last year, a TV series, I did a, an episode of Strike Back, which just came out. I've not seen it. But, no, great. I loved, I loved you, Strike Back. I'm like, really? He said, no. <laughs> um, but uh, I am busy. I, I keep, uh, Pilot was obviously one of the things I did, you know, early in my career, and it was probably the most notable thing that, I, uh, that people remember me for. Because it was uh, ran for six seasons, five years. Uh, it was in 80, 90 countries around the world, and um, it was a big success. So, and I thank you for still being here. Come on in! <laughs> There's plenty of space. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I'm really thankful that people still remember it because, you know, it's a very long time ago. Now, I will take questions from you. We can give a. Oh, there's no mic, but you can probably shout out. Um, I will take questions from you in a second. I just wanted to sort of say, I'll, I'll answer almost anything. <laughs> almost anything. And if I do this, it means I'm not answering it. <laughs> there are a lot of stories that we, I mean, Highlander, as I said, we did 117, I, I personally did 117 episodes. So there are a lot of stories, a lot of things that happened with the sword fights and the accidents and the, and the history and, and the love affairs and all that stuff. And people always said to me, so why was Highlander such a big success? And for me, and I don't know if any of you, who saw the first film? None of you, okay. <laughs> uh, from that first film, I got a real spirituality about. And I think, to me, that's always stuck with me. And the one scene that always stuck with me was the scene about Christoph, uh, or Connor, um, <laughs> running along the beach, feeling the, the essence of the, of the, of the stag. And, and, of the, and to me, that was really what it's about. It's about energy. It's about, and that was the essence of Highlands to me, because it's all about energy. It's all about, you know, quickening was energy. You know, uh, the feeling of another immortal was energy. It's all about that. And I think that's what really interested me about, about the topic. And I actually remember sitting in a, in a, in a casting room after Highlands 2. Came out, although the producers won't admit it actually existed. Because yeah. um, Highlander in space, they're like, what? No, they Highlander in space. Um, but I remember looking there going, I, I feel that I'm going to do something with this thing, because I love the first movie. And I didn't know why at the time. And then six months later, I was actually in front of the casting people in a room, and I sat there and said to them, You found your Highlander? I was the first person who walked in the room, they looked at me and went, you arrogant son of a... You know. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did say that to her, so you don't have to look anywhere else. Don't, you know, don't go anywhere else because you found the guy. <laughs> and it took three months for them to make a decision based on New York and Los Angeles, London. They, they brought people in from everywhere and ran a casting session and um, finally went down to two. My agent at the time turned around to me and he said, it's been three and a half weeks since you did the test between you and the cellar guy. They're probably not going to go with you. 
and uh, stop going on vacation. <laughs> so we left. <laughs> and uh, the next morning, you know, uh, literally about two or three days later, uh, I was in the gym and I was working out. And I was like, I was really bummed because I really wanted to do it. I really thought I was going to do this part. And um, I was on a treadmill working out. And I saw this Mercedes across the city. I need a break. No, I, I worked for, it was like 15 months I hadn't been working. But I've done small things. And I said, you know, I, I could afford something like that if I got this job. I know, you know, I really want to do this job. And I got home and on the answering machine, my agent's assistant was like, uh, Adrian, uh, you're working on Monday. This was Friday. You're working on Monday. And I'm like, you're going to Vancouver and drop your life. Thank God. So, literally, but luckily, Christophe Lambert came in in the second. There's more people coming in. Wow, were they spreading it around the room? Like, oh, Somewhere over there. <laughs> um, you know, Christoph came in on the second, uh, on the first show, and luckily we pushed the week, which allowed me a little bit of time to really work on character, work on some of the sort of stuff we had, and um, you know, and it launched from there. Uh, I'll answer questions now since I've been babbling for the past ten minutes. I'm sure some of you have, and it'll always do this. There won't be a question. Nobody put their hand up for the first thirty seconds, fifteen seconds. <laughs> And then everybody about that. What was your most memorable moment at Highlander? Get the job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were so many cool things I was able to do on that show. You know, I mean, I directed four of the episodes. I, you know, I worked some great people. I was very lucky. I can count on one hand. I, I had probably a hundred and something actors that came into that show. And I can count on one hand people I didn't get on with. So I was very blessed in that respect. And I think you have to be, when you're doing, when you're working with everybody all the time, you've got new people coming in, there's going to be, not everybody sees eye to eye, you know, so, but I was very lucky. And so to me, that was something I think I remember. And, you know, Elizabeth Grayson, Peter Wingfield, and Jim Burns, and Stan Kirsch, you know, they're all great people. And so I have so many fond memories of it that. I don't know if one specific is, is enough to explain it. I don't have the time. <laughs> yes, sir. That was a time uh, when Highlander came out that syndicated series had somewhat of a renaissance and, and great success. But with the fractionalization of media, do you see Highlander being able to survive or become a media property in today's fractional uh, system? I think it can, yeah. I can because if you market, because I've been, I've been producing and directing and in that world and in the finance world for the past six years. And looking at the new media that's out there, looking at the way things are produced, if producers are smart, and a lot of them are, they will take a product and make sure that they can fractionalize it, that they can take it to the online portion of it, to, to, uh, uh, to a, net, uh, a network like, like Stars or something that is a cable network, airlines, hotels. You can do that if you can fractionalize it. I mean, Highlander, in a sense, they were small stories every week, but they were based on one arc. So, I mean, if you're smart, there are so many different ways to do that. And somebody that now knows that fractionalization of the media will understand how to make that work. So I do believe it can. And I believe that the context is seems to be uh, correct because, or everlasting, it's immortal. Everybody wants to live forever. Everybody wants to be beautiful. Everybody wants to stay young. It doesn't matter whether you're 
1950 or 2010, that core thing about human people is, is going to last and never change. So Highlander, in a sense, the immortality aspect of it, and there are other shows. There was Immortal Beloved. There was, there's another one just recently, Vampires. It's all about immortality. So I think that this premise can still work. A lot of actors that play a good guy relish the opportunity to play a bad guy. So when you had your dark quickening episode, did you really think your teeth into that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can do so much more being a bad guy, you know? You can sort of do things like, you know? It's a cool guy, you can't even There's a different thing, it's a different morality. There's so many different things you can do, play with. The, the parameters of being a bad guy are much wider than they are being a good guy. So it's, it, it's more fun, too, you know? It's trouble if you take it too far. <laughs> so, uh, how was it working with Christopher Lambert? Oh, Chris, Chris was such a gentleman when he first came in. I mean, Bob Anderson, who I worked with, who had worked with Chris before, Bob was a swordmaster. He passed away about two years ago. Great guy. And me and uh, Christoph came in. It was like, it was so easy to work with him. You know, a lot of the time we work with people and there's an attitude. There's a, I am a star, you know. Chris doesn't have that, neither did Roger Daltrey. A lot of big stars don't have that. Some do, some, you know, and, you know, there's, there's an issue to, 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 to have with that. But Christoph, I never had that. I've always seen, I, when I run into him, when we work together on Highland, funny, I said something funny on Highland Endgame. Saw that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, by that point, I had a lot more experience on sword work than Chris did. Chris is an actor. And as I originally, originally went in there, I'm an actor. I'm not a martial artist. I just happened to be a martial artist as well. By the time we did Endgame, it was another, by, from 91 to, Endgame was in 2002, I think it was? Something like that. It's seven, eight years of work I've done. And you imagine you do something every day. You know, you've, you've worked with so many different people. I had a lot more experience in the sword work. So now, the dynamic had changed by the time we worked on Endgame. I turned around and, and Chris was like, Adrian, uh, uh, I was his mentor on the show and that was so weird. Like, after I'd seen Highlander, I was like, Highlander is Crystal, oh wow, you know, now I'm kind of saying, yo Chris, you've got to move your hand back here, you've got to do this and do that. He'd come to me, not to the Swordmaster after the show. And that was kind of weird, but it was, it was a mutual respect that we had, so it was, it was fun. See, I told you the hands would come Oh, I saw one in the corner. told this, you guys brought it. This finger, not this one, this finger <laughs> was cut virtually every week. You know, I would be split. I had stitches in this one. I had stitches, I had stitches about three times in the show, three or four times. One across the eye here, another one here. Uh, this one missed. Uh, I, I, you know, I had a lot of things, you know, broken blades and stuff. So you kind of go, you have to have a certain respect. I always tell people, because I've started doing, in some conventions now, I've started doing sword demonstrations. And people can actually join in. I'm actually probably going to be doing one in October in Seattle. Um, it's going to be a, a private uh, for 50 people, <coughs> basically a 
tutorial, if you like, on, on stage combat and how to use weapons, in a sense. So, I always tell people, you've got to respect the weapon. You have to respect it. You know, it's funny because I was just walking through. Here, give, me, give me that. Uh, give me that weapon you got. It's not exactly what I'm used to. <laughs> but imagine this being a bladed weapon. When you're walking around, this is not how you walk around with it. Because if I turn around like this, I'm going to catch somebody. You always have to keep a weapon like this if you walk around with it. Oh, see, so there's a real one here. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't work. Um, but that's the, the fact is you have to respect the weapon. So when I was working on the show, doesn't work. <laughs> when I was working on the show, we'd always, you know, try and make safety a priority. You have to make safety a priority because, you know, we're not immortal. Well, there's some people kind of believe that you are, in a sense, but. So that's, that's important, I think, to, to understand that, you know, because there are accidents that happen even in the movies. So, next question. Well, I just wanted to let you know that I got mine about 15 years ago at a convention in Denver, and I now keep it beside my bed because I am by myself now. My children have all left home. That is my one and only defense. Your, your, your katana is under your bed. No, next to my bed. Next to your bed. Okay, do you know how to use it? I just think I'm probably going to use it any way I can. <laughs> <laughs> of course she can use it. She's bad girl. It's, it's, that old, it's that old adage, isn't it? Did you see Crocodile Hunt Dundee? Yeah. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> That's not nice. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you, if you have something, you've got to be able to pick it up and, and do something with it. And, and again, something like that, that's Katana, is useful. Somebody sees you've got something in your hand, they'll... They, Unless you know something, well, be careful with how you go. I'm, I'm right. always not a proponent when I see things like Tybo and stuff like that. Then people are like, oh, now I can go out and kick somebody's butt. I'm like, you've got to respect the fact that there are other people with other things in life. And you've got to know that using it get out of it. It's not a question of trying to fight somebody. You've got to use it and get out of it. Because, because there are people that will use other things against you. And then you'll, you'll be in more trouble. So, yeah. Well, I'm hoping it'll have the same, the same effect as... Cocking a shotgun. It's cocking a shotgun? Yeah. I'm hoping that it will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. If I was walking down a, a dark room and I. If you walk in. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Aren't you going to run? Huh? If you see a woman holding the sword, aren't you going to run? If I see a woman holding a sword, I'm not going to run. Oh, no, please. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't think a sword's going to work once you get the gun out. That's good shit. off this topic. Out of the number of wonderful guest stars that came on the show, were there any that you were just really thrilled to have there? Or any when they came back and, oh, this is, this is great? Any wonderful behind the scenes moments? Roger Daltrey. I mean, Roger was such a joy to come, you know, he's, again, like I said, he, he became a friend of mine after and uh, he was just so down to earth, you know, I, I was watching, it's so funny, because I was watching, I, I met the Divas, you see WWE, right, you see WWE Divas, well, you know, there's Paige, who is the, um, 
she's the one from England. She talks like this, you know, like, no, I don't care what I'm doing, and I don't care what this funny stuff. And there was an episode just recently where the Divas went, well, WWE went to England. And you've got the Bella Twins who, you know, dress up and they're very... And in England, she, it's just, it's a different culture. It's really split, in a sense. Most people don't have that. So it's kind of that down-to-earth thing. And so I, I, I get where she's coming from, of being of wanting to be different, because Roger was like that. That's the kind of thing that was just a guy. Just That's how it was. So whenever I had Roger on the show, it was fun to be with personally, but it was also fun because he was so funny. And, um, and we had, I think I've told this story, you've probably heard this story, so that's good enough. <laughs> we, we had one episode, which was the Stone of Scone, 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 I think so. And uh, we, were, we were doing a flashback scene, and um, there's a cow in the back of the shop, you know, the director, Dennis Berry, who was nuts! Dennis used to talk to you like this! And he would do that. I'll tell you a story about Dennis in a minute. Um, but there's a cow in the back, back of the, the, the shop, and me and Roger are doing that dialogue, and that's a goes, and action! So, we Okay, clap, 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 clap. Alright, fine. Okay, take two. So, anyway. Alright, take three. I'm not joking. Every single time we started the dialogue, this cows, nothing personal, started, you know, mooing. And so, I mean, that's on the outside. So, a lot of little things like that were so much fun. So, Roger was one of the fun ones I had to work with. Question? Um, I just started in Aikido, and I know there's sword work involved with that, which kind of leads into this. Did you guys use a combination of Eastern and Western sword work, or was it just traditional Western? <laughs> <laughs> when I first started working, I worked with Bob Anderson, as I mentioned. Bob was uh, the head of the Olympic coaching team for England for fencing. So that's really this. <clears throat> right? Whereas the katana is not as much as a different style. My training was in Hangar Kung Fu, which had weapons, which was much more fluid. It had, it's a totally different you know, movement of form. So I said to my, I said to my, uh, my teacher, my Sifu, I said, what, what is a, a martial artist in a sense? And he said, well, think of a painter. A martial artist doesn't take from one thing. A painter doesn't, take, doesn't paint with one color. He paints with several, and he makes that painting, that picture. Same thing with the sword work. If you notice, my sword work changed from season one to season six drastically, because, much like I thought Duncan McLean would use it, it was different. When he fought somebody, he would use a different technique. He would, so that's the one thing I can say to it. It was mixed between Korean, Japanese, European fencing, even the Spanish Hispanidaga um, uh, that we did. It's a totally different style, so it's all melded into one. Uh, with the current trend of like so the superhero genre kind of taking over cinema and on television, uh, if you could play any character from a comic or any sort, what would you choose? Because he's funny. I've just seen the trailers of it. That looks funny, man. I, you know, I don't have a sense of humor. I like, I kind of like, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of a fun thing to do. I don't know if I want to play, I mean, Batman is a great example. But I don't talk like this. Christian <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't know what one I would really like. I mean, Batman would be kind of fun. It, it, it's, 
To me, I think I'd like to do something original, in a sense. I mean, that was the same thing when we did Highlander. Being Connor McLeod wasn't, wasn't frightening me. Because everybody's seen it, everybody's identified with it. So if you do Batman, Spider-Man, anybody else, a lot of the time these days, the actor doesn't matter, it's just the franchise. But who's playing it, you guys look at the point and say, well, he was better than him. And he, so you're going to be compared to somebody. Mm -hmm. If you create an original one, unless it's The Flash, you're going to be have your stamp on it and people will like it. You know, so I think that's, that would be my take on it. So then you go, okay, no. Were there any interesting like, improv moments that made it into the show? <laughs> interesting improv moments, oh gosh. <laughs> Stan Kershaw always had, that's one of, one, of the, one of the, I think the most famous improv things we used to have. Because we used to work between Paris and, and, and the US, when we shot in Paris, and the shows were put together for the European system and the American system, there was a, there was a difference because of the PAL and uh, NTSC uh, video, video video um, difference, which meant there was four minutes, three and a half, three and a half, four minutes difference between the European version and the English version, the American version. So what we would have to do when we would shoot for the comparison, we would have to shoot an extra scene. However, that extra scene wouldn't necessarily make it into the American version. So Stan Kirsch and I watched the Jerky Boys. Do you guys So Stan and I, there was a scene that would go like, so what do you think, should we be doing this? And then we'd do this walk and talk. So it would usually be a walk and talk, but it would be a filler about three minutes. So you know, we're saying, hey, pencil neck, have you seen such as that? Because they're going to translate it, they won't know what we're saying. <laughs> so we'd be putting this stuff in there that nobody would understand, but, you know, so stuff like that would go in. Improving all the time was, was pretty much what you would do, because in a sense, there is a structure, but you do add a few things. But that one is probably the most blatant one that we ever had. That's <laughs> awesome. What were some of your favorite set locations out of all the beautiful locations you got to film? Set locations? Um, just outside of Paris, there was one place we actually uh, shot constantly. It was a, a, a castle just outside of Paris, which I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but when I went to Bordeaux, that was really kind of fun. I mean, I, I, when I, I actually directed it, so I have a certain you know, favoritism towards it. But Bordeaux, we shot in a submarine silo, and this submarine silo was a real submarine silo. It was not used in, <laughs> this, this was the thing. The French had built it. Yeah, we do, because uh, Germans are coming, uh, we go to build this submarine silo, we build the water this way. And the Germans said, ah, yeah, we got to bomb some water, you go get the submarines out. And that's what happened. They bombed it. They never used the silo because they bombed the exit to the, to the submarine base. So this submarine base had been, you know, it had been shot at bomb. There were craters and holes in it. But the, the immensity of this place was enormous. It was beautiful to shoot, but there was other other uh, things inside it. There was a, uh, a metal factory inside it, a car repair place. There was a different thing. So to me, it was kind of cool because. I was like kind of seeing old things transferred into, into new as well, so keeping the old. So that was one of my, one of my favorites, uh, I could say. Were you able to keep any of the uh, souvenirs like the sword or anything else from the show? Yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, I, I actually have, I don't know if some of you have seen it, I mean, some of the shots I had, I used to wear this jacket, that was a Highlander jacket that has patches, season one, two, three, four, five, nobody's got that jacket, it's my jacket. I keep that. I, I never bring it out because, like, if I walk around, they're like, "Why are you wearing that?" 
Yeah. I, oh, you're the Highlander. It's like me going like, hey, look, I'm not. It's a red jacket, really, in a sense. But it's part of my, it's part of my memorabilia. It's one of swords. I do have one or two swords. I have one sword that has a pewter handle that was gifted to me by the, um, by the crew after season. I think it was three or four, I thought it was. Uh, beautiful pewter handle. I, I kept that one as well, so I've got a regular one and a, and a pewter handle one. The rest of it was sold off for charity, a lot of the sets and stuff. After the show wrapped, did you have problems being typecast for uh, future acting gigs? Yes. It's funny because I always said, no, nah, that will never happen. But people do. People, when I, people even say, why did you cut your hair? I'm like, it's been 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Serious, I'm not joking. Why did you? I mean, I'm like, well, you know, it was a change in the show, but people remember that ponytail and that look. So, you know, casting agents, producers, studios, etc., typecasting me in that sense. And yes, it, it was hard, it, it did affect me. It still does to a degree. I mean, a little bit now, because things have changed a lot. It's been a, I've been a while. You know, the interesting thing about women in martial arts, do you know that the Bokan, not the Bokan, sorry, the, the staff, was used by the Japanese women to beat an army? So, women in martial arts, you have to, this goes back to what I said earlier, when you're dealing with a situation, as a woman, you're not necessarily as strong, physically, but mentally, you're way advanced. So, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> but, there are certain things women can do that men have a harder time doing. And my thing is, when people used to say to me, what martial arts should I actually take? I'd say, it's like a painter. You've got to figure out which one it is and use it for you. It's like an acting teacher. Don't go to just one. Pick the one that you kind of think you might be able to do. But actually, if a Taekwondo guy says, I'm not going to advance because of that, sorry, it's a jerk. Sorry, that, that to me is not, that's not helping you. He might have said to you, listen, Perhaps we could utilize this. That means he has, has one thing and a very narrow view of what his art is. That doesn't work for me, personally. So. Do you see the uh, Highlander being rebooted, either in TV, Netflix, online, theater? A, a new film, you mean? A new film or a series? Well, the, 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 they have been trying to discuss something like that for about four or five years. And uh, they've had different people like Ryan Reynolds attached to the film. It's supposed to be, it started off as a $70 million film, now it's supposed to be a $120 million film. That's a lot of money. And so, we used to do our shows for a million bucks every week. And it, I think it reached a lot further of an audience. There is a market out there that I think they have to figure out how they're going to do it. Um, again, you never really know why a, why a show goes on air. You never do. I, I got kicked out, there was a show I did way back in my early career called The Owl. Which was, a, which was a pilot for a series. It was supposed to go, but because of CBS, personalities changed. Somebody else came in and they were, no, I don't want to do that, we're going to do this. It's a per it was because of a person saying, it had nothing to do with the business. So there's so many different factors that make something work or not that has to be taken into consideration. So again, I don't know when they're going to reboot it. They do have in mind to do it. They have a script. They had a director at one point. I think they have another one now. So again, I don't know, but they, there, it is in mind. Yes. If there is a reboot in your ass, would you be willing to participate? Yeah, I'd participate. You know, 
but you know, I'm not immortal. Getting <laughs> older, you know, like, but they do want a young guy. You know, I mean, I can't do the Sean Connery part. You know, Sean. Funny thing is, you know, there's a Scotsman playing a Spaniard and a, and a, and a Frenchman playing a Highlander, which was kind of like. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I do something as they did, and they're trying to reboot the very first film. They rewrote the first film and, and some of the, the stuff in it that, um, you know, they've got a new package that they're trying to do, so I don't know what they're, they're structuring. But yeah, I, I do it. It's kind of fun to, you know, wink at people. Hey, I mean, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I still race cars on the street. People don't like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I sat at these three cars. Go ahead, go faster! I'm like, okay, calm down. Your mother will kill me. <laughs> um, I, I had, the, the, I did a, 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 a race down in Mexico called La Carrera Panamericana, which is a, a race from southern Mexico to the tip. It's a seven-day race. Highlander people had two cars in the race, one by a professional driver, because it, it's a dangerous race. You're doing 120, 150, 130 miles an hour down these little roads, etc., through the mountains and all this stuff, the type of stuff. And there were accidents, and people get injured, some get killed. Um, and um, they said to me, do you want to drive one of the cars? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, that'd be great. So during my period on, on the show, they said to me, okay, you're gonna fly from Vancouver to Los Angeles, Two Mexico, uh, two, two uh, one, uh, not Guadalajara, it's one of the, quite a no, so now it's another Mexican place. And we're going to put you in this car, and we'll drive you up, you'll do it one day, drive up to Mexico City, and we'll film it, and you're going to, that's great, love to do that. So I leave from Vancouver, and uh, I have my dog, my Rottweiler with me, and I had to drop him off in LA. Well, I, I, for some reason, I can't remember what it was either, they didn't want the dog to come on fire, I missed the flight. So then I missed my connection in Los Angeles. So by the time I'm now calling them in, in Mexico saying, I'm not gonna make the connection. Um, so they go, okay, okay, okay. Get to Los Angeles, we'll figure it out. So I get to Los Angeles, I call them again. They said, okay, you're gonna fly into Mexico City. We're gonna fly you on a small plane from there to the place. And I'm like, a small plane, how small? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a Cessna, that wasn't exactly my favorite you know, thing to do. So no, 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 be cool, it's good. So I get to get Mexico City. Now this is like, I think this was like 10, 12, 13 hours later. Mexico City, they drive me out of the city for an hour and they take me to this private airfield. And uh, it's all the jets and stuff. The very rich people have all these jets. And I'm sitting there going, wow, school, I'm gonna get a jet, cool. And I walk out, I remember, oh, I always remember this. Walk into the terminal, it's a small terminal, not very big, from where right I the wall. And outside the wall there, outside the door there, I see this big jet, I'm like, yeah. That's how I was. So I'm walking through the terminal and I get to the doors and we're following the doors. I get to the doors and I'm like, an e box left. And I'm like, uh, okay, so I follow. And I follow around the corner and there's a little Cessna sitting on the uh, <laughs> And I'm like, oh no. And I'm watching lightning happen in the distance. So I'm like, uh, yeah. So I got on board and I literally went, well, I mean, you know, my time is my time, whatever it is. So if I, anyway, I'll get in the back of this thing. And I remember looking up like this, watching the stars go by, and at the corner I was saying, flash, 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 I'm like, it's pretty, it's pretty pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and we got there, okay. But by the time I got there the next morning, they'd driven the first leg of the race and they'd blown the engine. Because the engine, because the, 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 the additives in the fuel down there weren't enough to, to, to fool a high-powered engine, so they'd blown it. So we had to take the engine out, and I'm kind of, 
leaning over trying to, you know, this camera's a film. Yeah, you should, yeah, I agree, you should be doing it. I had no idea what I was doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, take the thing out. That's good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then I drove later that afternoon. We got the car and I drove. And I was doing, I was in a small um, Jag. 1952, 1954 Jag, which had dry weather tires about this big. You know, they're not big tires, and the windshield was this wide, like this. It was over the top, so we had helmets. And my co-driver, who was the driver driven the night before, he had sat with me, so I drove the leg. So we get halfway there, and it starts raining, and uh, it's raining, <laughs> raining. We get onto the, and at this time, the, the we've got a car kind of following us. And we get onto the, onto the highway, going up to Mexico City. And the highway's there at the time, I don't have to change now, but at the time, this all, it wasn't, there's just a lot of holes and stuff. So the water's collected, it's now raining, you know. And the windshield wipers are this big, through it uh. <laughs> It didn't really matter, because, you know, actually when you're in a high-speed car, like for instance, when we did uh, the Daytona 500, uh, the Rolex uh, uh, race, they said, you know, they didn't, the wipers went out of the car, but you're going so fast that the water's coming up, you can still see through it, because it's got so fast. So, this thing wasn't, it was like, okay, well, I'm not doing very much. So we get on the highway, and now the car is hydroplaning, because it's dry where the tire's on it, and you've got little pools of water in there. As I'm doing this, okay, I drop it down to about 70, I'm about 70, 75, and all of a sudden, this coach or bus comes past me, like and it hits a puddle of water, and this whole sheet of water goes right on top of us. Oh. That's my experience of the Carlacara in America, and I got wet when I replied, uh, arrived back in uh, Mexico City. But I, I had fun, you know, it's a good question. Next question. Yes. Well, you actually just mentioned one who I worked with twice. Once on um, Beauty and the Beast and once on his audio books, which is George R. R. Martin. And he has another property that actually we were trying to option that's now in litigation because something happened to it. And that's, that's why I say you just don't know when a thing is being made. But this series of books is actually, I, I'm not going to mention what it is, but he would be something. Because of what I like about him is something that we used to do in You never know what's going to happen. There's so many characters. When I did his book, audio books, he was so, his characters were, it was about these different planets and different cultures and one trapping another and, and these, I don't know where his mind is, it's amazing, his mind. But he takes you on a journey. I remember Game of Thrones is one of my favorite uh, shows, so I watch it religiously. And, I, you know, you watch a character, and the character, it's a main character, and he dies. You're like, oh my God. Oh my god, they you know, and my wife said, well, maybe they actually didn't know it. I said, well, it's in the book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, you kind of, I, I, but I like that. I like the fact, because you don't know what's going to happen. It's, I'll take that. <laughs> oh, no, um, you don't know what's going to happen. And I, we did that in Highlander. When we killed Tessa, you didn't expect it to happen. And we killed Richie. You didn't expect it to happen. And there are a lot of people that deny it actually happened. But, 
you know, you don't know, and as an audience member, sometimes it turns a couple of people off, but it makes more people much more interested in the show because, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next week? You want to watch, even though you don't want to, you want to watch. You know what I mean? You have to. So that type of writer. Anybody else? I'm not sure that a lot of books are being optioned to be made into, into projects now because there's an audience behind it, which goes back to what you were saying earlier on about the fragmentation of, of media now. They'll take that so that they can actually market it. They know that there's a certain audience they'll take. They might turn it into a comic book or something else at the time. And that's another part of that fragmentation, which now today is different from what we were doing Highland. Yep. Yeah, I'm uh, sure that you have uh, your list of uh, people that you're a fan of. Uh, who are they, and have you had a chance to work with them yet? Um, you know, again, there's different levels because certain times they put you in different things for a reason. You know, you, you, you know you're an actor of an A, B, C, D, E list, whatever. That list changes as your person, as your popularity comes on, so then you get the chance to work for different people based on that. So, I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with some good people. Um, you know, I'd love to work with Sean Connery. I don't think he's ever going to work again. You know, I mean, he's, he's doing his thing now. I think he's, he's done. He's, um, you know, there were, there were, there's a lot of good actors today, and some I don't even know of, because, you know, it's a different era. Now you've got the 20-year-olds, the 22-year-olds, the 25-year-olds. I'm like, I don't know. But this, I watch shows now as a director, as a producer, and I can try and look to actors and say, I'd like to work with them as a director, as a producer. As an actor, <laughs> uh, as an actor, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, if, if, if obviously the Pacinos and the De Niro's were my time, and uh, but that's a different era now. And I think um, I would have loved to have worked with some of them. I've met most of them. Um, I met Clint Eastwood, I've met, you know, Pacino, I've met uh, Sharon Stone, I've met, you know, a lot of these people. Never worked with them. I'd like to have done, you know, to a point, but I never had, you know. But, uh, I get to work with people, different people, uh, what's his name, um, who I just worked with on, uh, on a film last year, uh, the, the Secret of Emily Blair, uh, was, um, he's an Irishman. Um, he was in Star Trek too. Uh, gosh. Sam and Big. Say again? No, not something. Simon would be fun to work with. I think he's funny. <laughs> I think he's a funny, funny actor. And I kind of, you know, there's some good English actors coming out. And then, again, I'd love to work with Judy Dench or, uh, you know, some of those English actors as well, because I think there's a great quality out of the English. Next question. Yes, madam. Okay, let's talk about the Scottish accent. <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, in England, you had you're, you're stuck stuck with you. You have a lot of different cultures you're, you, that are in your face because you're much tighter. You've got the Scottish, the Welsh, the Irish, you know, the Jamaicans. The, the, so we'd be having fun telling jokes. I would always love to do the accent, so I'd always do a Scottish accent because that's kind of what the Scots would do, you know. So when they did Highland, I'm like, Clean, I can do my Scottish accent. <laughs> but if I talk like this, you know, they didn't like it because they said the American audience wouldn't understand it. <laughs> In show 17, 1617, when I was doing The Return of Amanda, I had the producer call me up and say, you got to cut the accent out. I said, no. She went, I'm, I'm the producer. I said, look, I know you are, but this is the issue. The issue is we've done 17 shows already with this accent stuck in there. She said, but the, the American audience won't understand it. I said, so she, I'm going to get Bill Panzer to call you. So I, I thought about this, and, and this is something I had to understand. The fact is, 
when you, I, I didn't do it out of ego. It was because I truly believe this character, who's called the Highlander from <laughs> Scotland, yeah. wouldn't have an American accent in 1785. So, or an English shies, whatever I had, you know. So I said to him, I said, look, I tried it without, I tried doing him without this accent, and it does, I, I don't know who he is. And, and that's the truth. When you create character, you create different things. You create who his objective is, what their obstacles are, who their loves are, what their history is, how they walk, how they talk, you do that. So when you do that, you take a piece out of it, you're like, uh, it's kind of hobbling. So it kind of, so after I said to Bill, I said, look, I really don't understand where this has gone. He said, well, I said, well, I could do it with that, but I, you know, I don't, he said, well, all right, all right, let's just see. Maybe there's a way to do this. And so what we decided on was that 1815, when Dr. McLeod came to America, I would then have an American accent. I changed it to about 1850 because I didn't believe that an accent would change over like, like overnight. So my accent changed. If you look at it, it was lighter as later episodes came in year two. It was a slightly lighter accent. But then the funny thing was, when people came out, they had a survey. They went, "We love the Scottish accent." <laughs> people loved it because there's a history behind it. So that's the story behind that. Next question. Yeah, I think we will do. We're running out, so how long do we have? Ten off, we've got ten minutes. <laughs> this is the fun part of my Q&As. Okay, so you've all seen sword fights, right? You've all seen quickenings. People haven't asked me about a quickening. Are there any kids in the room? Oh, we've got kids in the room. How old are you? Fourteen. Fourteen, okay, you're okay. How old are you? Ten. Ten. Uh, one second. Um, <laughs> Exactly. They see, there's a quickening happening over there. See, they just doing a quickening over there. This. Yeah. <laughs> People always ask me, which none of you have asked me, what's your motivation for a quickening? <laughs> what's your motivation for a quickening? <laughs> so, basically, I said it's much like an experience. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you once again for joining me here in Neverland for the Neverland podcast. Next week, like I said, I will be in TuneFest, and I will try to process as much audio and get it all together for you to to share with you as much as I can next week. Uh, it's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's always I, I always have a great time there in TuneFest. And if you are planning to go through Marceline, Missouri, if you're going to TuneFest, come and find me. I'll be wearing a shirt that says Neverland Podcast, so you should be able to find me. Uh, I think my wife is going to be joining me as well. She might be busy grading some papers. Uh, but, yeah, come find me out there on the streets. I'll be probably in the museum. I'm uh, going to visit with Peter Whitehead, who you heard last week, and uh, meet him face-to-face. -face. I'm going to have a good time. It's a lot of fun. I encourage you to go if you've never been. But until next week, God bless, and remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blueberry. We love to hear from you on twitter.com slash neverlandpodcast and facebook.com slash neverlandpodcast. Leave us a voicemail at 
1-800-242-6492 and send email to podcast at neverlandpodcast.com. Join us next week and we'll once again go to Disney and beyond. The Neverland Podcast is copyright Blue Band Productions and all original content belongs to the same. Other content is copyrighted their respective creators and is used under Creative Commons license.